Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to another episode of Sales Lead Dog. Today we have joining us Philip Gerard. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I appreciate it very much. I'm uh, excited to talk to you about this topic. That's awesome. So, Philip, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your company. Yeah, so I'm a uh, uh, long-tenured sales leader. Uh, I've grown up in the electronic and electrical industries. Um, and uh, serviced a number of uh, you know different customer segments. I'm currently uh, vice president of sales uh, for the Americas in uh, the electrical group of Panduit. Uh, Panduit is the premier provider of wire management solutions uh, into network uh, and uh, industrial electrical uh, solutions. So uh, we've got everything from you know uh, cable management and you know data center uh, accessories, et cetera. So. Uh, um, uh, one of the premier names, of course. But. Oh, yeah. Anyone who works in data centers, anything even remote to that knows who Panduit is. Yeah. It's a very large company as well, correct? Yeah, no, they, uh, definitely. We, we are. And uh, I joined about a year ago and uh, the, the brand recognition that they had uh, coming in and the things I thought about them were uh, not only confirmed, but uh, accentuated by, you know, just the, the innovation and the, you know, the, what, uh, what Panduit has done and continues to do as far as innovation in, uh, in, in, in wire and wire management. That's terrific. Uh, tell us about, you know, thinking back over your career, tell us about the person who's had the most impact on your success. Well, I, I mean, I, I could point to a number of places. I mean, uh, my early in my formidable years, you know, my dad was in sales and um, my dad uh, sold the uh, roofing and siding. And I, I, I remember doing uh, sales calls with him uh, on occasion. Uh, and uh, so that certainly uh, formed uh, a lot of uh, ideas and, and whatnot. So uh, he, he was uh, uh, definitely a, uh, you know, formed early uh, ideas about what sales was all about. I've had a number of mentors uh, throughout my career that uh, that helped me learn at the next level, uh, you know, really about not just the the day to day selling and account level selling, but, you know, really developing sales leadership and, uh, you know, uh, skills in that regard. So I've, I've really had quite a few mentors uh, throughout the throughout the, uh, the years. That's terrific. I love hearing about people when they say, you know, my dad was. Uh... Uh, for, it's the same for me. My dad was in IT, and, and uh, you know, it, it's nice to have that as your foundation. Uh, what's your favorite thing about your career? Well, I mean, the, the, the industry that I've worked in has given a great deal to me, uh, not just financially. I mean, I've you know, uh, had a lot of great success uh, with, you know, in, the, in the industry. But I think the most rewarding thing is, is how I've developed as a person and how I've learned to understand, you know, because it's not just the selling aspects of it, it's the people aspects of it that's attractive. And, you know, I, I, even in early sales uh, opportunities, it really was that attraction towards the people. So I'd say that the most fulfilling thing for me is, is you know, how I've grown as an individual and, and, and my, uh, you know, uh, continued uh, growth in, in, in just learning about, you know, 
who are people and you know uh, you know why do people do what they do and you know uh, it, it, when you're mentoring salespeople and and when you're talking to customers it's you know it's all about that sort of listening and learning and really understanding the the people so awesome I ask this question ever but it's one of my favorite questions what are the top three things that have helped you the most in your career so I would say uh, one of the most significant things, and I always going to sound silly, but it was having children, uh, because having children makes you have a different perspective on the the impact that you, that your behavior and the things that you were doing are having. Uh, that was the the big um, uh, influence on on you know on my leadership skills is just recognizing that you know the, the same care that you put into speaking with your children, it, you know your everything you say as a leader is all, is also influential. So that was a certainly a uh, a major change there. I've also had uh, some executive coaching, and um, uh, I don't know if I should mention the the gentleman's name, but uh, if you want, that's fine. Yeah, he, 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 uh, more than happy to plug people. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, uh, Stephen. Uh, I'll just leave it at Stephen for now. But uh, he had a very, very strong impact on me. Uh, he he taught me one of the most important things that I've learned that I try to pass on to my leaders that report into me uh, now and people that I'm mentoring, which is um, slow down to speed up, that uh, the result is better if you take the time to bring people into the fold and help, you know, have them give the um, uh, inputs and be part of the solution. And that was a big learning for me because I, I think you have a tendency to, you know, any one of us that are successful, we're successful because we're results oriented and we want to drive to get things done. And sometimes we forget that, uh, look, there's a whole group of people around here who may not be at the same place you are. And if you take the time to get them there, bring them into the vision and then kind of grow them, I think that's, uh, that, you know, that, that's probably the biggest, the, the biggest impact that, I, that, that's, that, you know, been in my career for sure. That's awesome. You said something there that's pretty powerful. I'd like you to repeat it again, just to make sure people really understand that, the, the slow down to speed up. Could you say that again? Just to, let's emphasize that. I think that's really an important concept. Yeah, um, what, what that means is, is that if you, get, if you get focused on the result, you can drive forward very rapidly and you can drive forward very uh, aggressively towards the goal because you know that as a leader at the end of the day we're all here for the results I mean you know all the other stuff we do is important and we got to be aligned with the culture and we got to be aligned with the strategy and the plan but if if we're not delivering results then it's all for naught and so you know for the key the key for delivering that result is to having the entire team uh, around that so sometimes you have to take a minute and say, I already know the direction that could get us there, or a direction. I don't even say the, because you know that's another thing that I've learned over the years is that there's no the, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no good, there's no bad. There's this is an approach. Will it work? Yes, it will. Okay, let's try it. But if you do that with the, with your team and you bring your team along, and not just you know your team of direct reports. When I I mean any department, any external collaboration that you need in order to get done what you need to get done. If, if you take the time to understand their needs, take the time to understand their desires, it'll, it will slow you down in terms of delivering that result, but the result will be much more uh, sustainable and it will be much more uh, positive, much more powerful, and the people around you will all feel that they're part of that change. And that, you know, that was a very important lesson to me. And that's, that's what I mean when I say you know, slow down to speed up. Terrific. 
Um, if you, shifting gears here just a little bit, if you're with a group of your peers, you're all sharing stories, lots of laughters, smiles, about the craziest sales story you have, what's your story? <laughs> uh, there's, there's one that always comes to mind. Um, the, the, it, was, it was fun. Uh, we had a uh, we had a meeting with a customer and we were trying to move them down a path and they brought a, a vice president in who basically came in and said, look, I've got 15 minutes while me and just kind of derailed the entire process we, we had planned and we were under and even his team kind of looked, whoa, okay, because we had, you know, we planned an hour, but he, you know, came in and kind of preempted and said, no, we're, in 15 minutes, if I'm not, if I'm not ready to go, we're, we're out of here. So, so we, we basically shifted our, our conversation to try to, you know, because typically when I'm in a, in a situation with talking to a customer, I want to ask a bunch of questions about, you know, what's important to you and, you know, and how do I move this forward based on impact that I know that you'll feel. And uh, we didn't get the chance to do that. So he just wanted us to, you know, let's launch right into this. So, so we started going down the path of doing the explanation and the fire alarm went off and there was somebody had called in a bomb scare a disgruntled employee called in a bomb scare and every one of us had to leave the building and go to a designated place outside and we had to stay there so we had him now until this bomb scare was over which was two and a half hours so we stood in the parking lot in a much more casual setting and we got to ask the questions, talk through what we needed to. That was the best win of our lives. I, I remember we, I had one of our technical guys, Tony, with me. And we just, you know, at the end of that call, we were high-fiving. So like, we were, we were about to crash and burn. We were gone. And we just got the, you know, uh, delivered the, the, you know, the best gift ever, which was more time and a, a, an environment where he, he couldn't go anywhere anyway. So he might as well take some time and listen and talk. So I need to remember that next time, if that ever happens to me, text one of my team members, hey, go outside, pull the fire alarm. <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend that, but uh, <laughs> I certainly would say that, that that was probably one of the most memorable uh, sales calls ever. Oh my, that, yeah, that's a great one. That's great. <laughs> um, how did you get your start in sales? And what has that done, in, or how's that impacted your role as a sales leader? Yeah, the truth is, is that I, I, as far back as I can remember, I, I mentioned that I, you know, even as a, as a lad, my, I, I went on sales calls with my father and I watched him sell. And so um, it, when I was a kid, I would always, you know, I, I, I remembered uh, I had a job when I was uh, a teenager uh, and I went and sold jewelry uh, door to door with a team of people. They'd drop in a neighborhood and you'd go and sell jewelry. It was, uh, uh, it was jewelry that was crafted um uh, by special needs folks. So it was, you know, a charity type thing. And so, uh, uh, early on I was doing, you know, doing selling. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I've always had a pension for it. And, you know, like whenever we had, you know, um, uh, fundraisers or things like that, I would always, you know, go out and earn the most. And I, you know, I, you know, I, I would make sure that my, I sold the most candy bars or, you know, got, you know, got the most raffle tickets or whatever, because, you know, I just, I had that competitive spirit. Uh, I, I'm a middle child. So maybe that's some of the competitive drive comes from, you know, being in that center of the family, always trying to, you know, drive your, uh, drive your position. So, yeah, I would say it's kind of always been in, uh, in, in my blood and, you know, I've done it for, you know, it, from as far back as I can remember. And, and then I, you know, kind of when 
you know, once you decide, okay, it's time to get into the workforce and, you know, it's time to go do something, you know, sales is just a natural migration for me. What do you wish you were taught when you got that first job? The power of questions. Um, I, I think early on in everybody's career, we think that we need to explain. And what's much more powerful is when we get the customer to explain when we ask the questions that allow them to understand that they have a genuine need and they understand the impact of that. That's something that I think that, you know, the sooner that a salesperson kind of can build that into their repertoire, the, 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 the more successful they can be because it's very, very powerful to, to ask just simple questions about, you know, and, and there's tons of methods that teach that, you know, customer centric selling and spin and QB, uh, the question-based selling. And there's, you know, any value-based selling, any number of those that, but that the, the concept's all the same, which is really seek to understand before, you know, your advocation, your advocation should be a very small piece and it should be around, they came to the realization they needed it on their own. And all you're doing is helping them get the solution. So that was something that, you know, in the early career, we were always brushing up on, you know, how do I talk about the features and benefits and, you know, that sort of thing. And I learned very quickly, it's like, how do I, how do I equate this to, to the customer's business? And where I learned that is um, we had a select group of people, uh, which I was one of, who were um, trained and authorized to do uh, a total cost of ownership analysis that, uh, when I worked with a, an electronics distributor. And because of that training, it, it, the whole thing was let's go in and ask them questions about their operations so you can learn where, you know, where are the points where you can provide you know, supply chain services that are going to help them. So us as a distributor you know, can solve those problems, but we can also put a number on it. And we, there was a financial analysis to say, you know, this is what you gain as a result of doing that based on the values we bring. And that's when the kind of the light kicked on for me. It was like, man, you know, I'm not, those weren't selling oper, uh, uh, opportunities. People were bringing me in to talk to them about their operation. And I got more powerful selling opportunities out of that than I did out of, you know, ever sitting down in, in what was considered a sales call. So, right. you know, that, that's probably the thing that I would say is most, uh, uh, would, will give the most impact to young salespeople is, is just understand that the power of questions and, you know, asking questions to get a sale, uh, it, it, seems, it seems awkward until you learn it. And then it seems so natural. Was it a tough decision for you to transition from sales to being a sales leader? It was. Um, and for the reasons I talked about earlier about, you know, so, you know, uh, the, that slow down to speed up concept was, you know, I proved my worth as a sales individual and I was a high performance individual. And then as I started growing, I just, you know, I wanted my career to advance and I wanted, you know, more of those sales positions. But I have to say that early in my career, I was not that slow down to speed up guy. I was, guys, we're going in this direction and we're going. And you know, I received a lot of feedback. You asked about mentors. A couple of my very strong mentors through my, my career, you know, really spent the time explaining to me, like, you know, you're getting tremendous results, but you're leaving a wake behind you. And you, know, you don't need to do that. And, and, and that, that was the, I think the, you know, kind of a really uh, a turning point for me. But so I, I always had my eye towards, you know, doing more and growing my career. And, I, and, and uh, it's making that change, uh, you know, from the individual contributor, well, you've got to now understand that the, it's the power of the team that matters, not the, not the power of you, the, the result you're delivering. And if you can get everybody on your team that much better, that that's going to be a reflection. And I, I think part of that too is, is that you've got to change what you consider to be the result you're delivering. 
So things like employee engagement scores and you know employee satisfaction are, are are right up there with revenue and profit and pipeline and you know targets and you know things like that. I mean, because if if that team feels strongly about where they are as a team from a chemistry perspective, uh, they're going to deliver that result for you. So and it's not like you sit back and wait for the result. You still got to drive to the result, but encouraging mentoring and, and developing the team and their skill set makes your result happen. Is there something, uh, when you got that first leadership job, is there something you strongly believe that you now know was just flat out wrong? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, that's, and it is in that same vein, it, you know, that I, I was making decisions and, uh, and micromanaging things that, that I didn't need to be engaged and involved in. And, you know, frankly, um, I, I, I could, I could see the impact that it had after the fact it would have been nice to kind of know it ahead of time, but you, you know, it, the, you know how it works is you've yep. got to skin your knees before you, you realize that, okay, I'm not going to step over that anymore. <laughs> so sorry, I'm sorry. I talked over you. Go ahead. No, I, I just said so that, that was just the, some of the early learnings that, yeah. You know, you get that, you get that big shot, you're in, you know, you, you get your chance and you're in there and all of a sudden you go, I'm, I'm not getting the, I'm not getting the result. I thought I would. I, I thought I would just get up here and show them what to do. No, not, not quite. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I think that's a tough thing for most people when they transition into a leadership role is uh, understanding that um, they need to give people space. The micromanaging really is, is not going to help. I think that's a common mistake. Well, I, I think too that it, it, that goes back into like talent development and you know uh, 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 team selection and, and and that sort of thing. Because now what you start to realize is is that not everybody's going to be the same at the same things. They're all going to bring different strengths to the party. And you know, and quite frankly, um, we had a program at one of the places I worked. It was called Pathways to Leadership, and it was a management simulation process. It was a three day process that was grueling for the individuals. And you were either nominated by your leader or you, you know, asked to be, you know, to be part of it because you aspired to be in, in leadership. And I was one of the facilitators and raters for this. So I, you know, uh, we, our job was to, you know, make a, a rating of the individual. Are they uh, ready now, ready a year from now or not recommended for, for leadership? Um, I saw a lot of people come into that that thought they wanted to be in leadership and said, hey, if this is if this simulation is real in any way at all, I'd rather be an individual contributor. And that was a, a lot of learning that where I started to understand is you got to be able to separate the difference between those people that may be moderate performers, but have greater capability in leadership or in other roles in, in the company. And then you got those pure, hey, this is a, 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 an individual who's going to be a, an individual contributor for, for, the, for the long haul. And that's not a bad thing. Let's make sure they're happy, make sure they're motivated, get them the tools they need, enable them. But let's not worry about, hey, they're your best performance, so they, they're your next sales leader. They, they may not be. They may not be fit for that at all. Yeah, I think that's a key component of being a leader. What are those attributes you look for when you're thinking about nominating someone or, or taking them through a, a, a grooming process for a leadership role? What do you look for? So for me, the impact that people have around, around them is a, is a pretty clear indicator um, and look, this is not in any way meant to disparaging about, you know, those go get them salespeople, but you, you know that there are, there are those really solid performers 
that do leave a little bit of a wake. And they, they, you know, when the organization doesn't move to the direction they want, they get excited. And, you know, salespeople are expressive by nature and they, you know, they let their opinions be known and they, you know, they, so they can really cause some friction within the organization if they don't drive, uh, you, know, you know, properly. So I think if I look at, if I'm looking at the difference between other, you know, there's other people that um, as, the, as they're operating and acting, they're asking that question like, well, look, at, I've run across the same thing multiple times. How can I solve that problem so we never have to deal with it again? Those are your sort of leaders. I think, you know, the, the early indicator of who are the people that need to be, you know, groomed for leadership and who are the ones that you, you coach and mentor to get the constituency group the best that you can behind them and not, you know, be too disruptive, but also make sure you turn them loose and let them be the hunter that they are. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, when you are, uh, um, You know, uh, one of the things I would like to talk about with my guests are success habits. Um, what are your success habits that you try to pass down to your team? Um, there's a number of them. I, I, I think uh, first and foremost is look at the things that are going to be impactful. Try to understand what the things that are going to be impactful and spend your time there because, the, you know, there's this... Uh, quadrant system that that somebody introduced me to early on with the axes of uh, urgent and important. And there's this quadrant of things that are not urgent, but they're very important that where people spend a limited amount of their time. And I've actually got, got a graph that I share with people, uh, you know, and say, look, you know, if you're building a strategy for your account or for your territory, or whatever you're doing, there's only so many things that you're going to be able to get done in the day. And if you want to go home fulfilled and say, I got something done and I felt great, you're going to need to force yourself into that category of um, not urgent, but important. And, you know, uh, the unfortunate thing that where we have to spend our time is in the urgent and important. That's the, I got to get this quote out, you know, this expedite has to happen. I need to do this thing or I'm going to lose my customer. Those you've got to service. The problem is, is that we also spend a lot of time in the not important, but urgent because they're coming at us and we can check the box and get that good feeling about, okay, I, I got that done. I feel good that I solved that problem. And then you look back and say, but did that help me forward my strategy? So I spend a lot of time with my leadership team, making sure that they have a sound strategy. And then I ask them, look at the activities that you're, that you're spending your time on. Are they forwarding your strategy? Or are they just reactions to things that are happening? And uh, and as, as people move more toward that to that quadrant of the uh, not urgent but important, uh, I, I watch them succeed much more. As you know, our firm is really big uh, around process, sales process, as well as other processes throughout the organization enabled by uh, CRM technology. Panduit just went through a, a major project. Uh, to to re-engineer your sales process. Can you talk about what was it that triggered that and what some of the business issues were that were driving that process? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do want to uh, thank you, Chris. I know we didn't end up with an engagement for, for you to, uh, you know, do some of the work for us because we have a, you know, pretty strong internal team, but the consultation that you and I had was extremely helpful. And I, uh, I do appreciate, you know, you kind of looking over how I was thinking about it. And I've done other uh, CR, I've done full CRM implementations at two other companies. This company had a CRM. The, the, the issue that was, was interesting was, is that we really weren't using it as anything other than, 
you know, kind of a repository for information that wasn't being utilized in any way. So um, the, the biggest issue that, that I see, you know, companies, uh, that the mistake that people make is, is they look and say, I'm going to put in a CRM because I've got a sales problem. And I always say, solve the sales problem first and understand where's there a lack of discipline? What does your sales process actually look like? What are the things that lead you to winning? And then have your CRM reflect your sales process. And you know, if you do it the other way around, you, you're, you're fooled into thinking that I'm gonna turn this CRM in and all of a sudden my pipeline's gonna go up and I'm gonna be winning more business. And the, act, the, the, the fact of it is, is that what you're going to do is you're going to have a clear reflection of the poor discipline and the poor, poor process you have already. So uh, that so when I got to, to Panduit, um, they, uh, our network infrastructure group has a very strong utilization of, of, of the, uh, the CRM and not just the CRM, but all of the, the tools, the, you know, uh, Marketo and, you know, the, the early uh, digital customer acquisition aspects of it, inside sales using tools to do, you know, account-based marketing and, uh, you know, lead generation, lead follow-up, et cetera. And they had a very strong uh, adoption of it. Their business is a little bit different, uh, more project-based, so it lent itself to that more naturally. But we also have lots of projects and just, you know, order of magnitude. Our, our business, you know, is a very large, you know, private company, but we, we do this in, uh, you know, uh, little orders at a time. Uh, and, and so, you know, smaller, you know, five, $10,000 orders are very, very important to us but we can't track and manage each one of them. So you got to have a system that understands what's the inertia behind that. So um, basically what I did is I took the best practices of the past that I had, but I didn't, I, you know, I, I also see leaders make the mistake of coming in and saying, I did this before, therefore we're going to do this here. It's like, no, I'm going to actually try to understand what are the nuances of our sales process? Where do we succeed? So I spent a lot of time in my early uh, uh, part of my career here at Panduit, traveling around, talking to people, listening to the customer, like, you know, how do they interact with us? What does that look like? And then looking, going back and looking and saying, how did that like now get reflected in our pipeline? And, and, and then just really trying to understand that. So then we, we, we built out the process around how do we want it to happen? And what are the connection points? So best practice for me from a CRM is, is if you're, if people have to operate within the CRM to get things done, then um, they're going to be more apt to be in there working. So you've got to kind of drive the, the process to happen within the tool rather than you're out here working the process and you come in and reflect it in the tool. It's like, okay, now I'm asking people to duplicate their effort. So how do I make those connection points in the in CRM that if you have to do this, like if I want to make an engineering request, I make it in CRM and it goes to the person in engineering that it makes the evaluation, does the checklist to see if everything's there and all of the interaction and transactions are happening there. So now we do things like connection points of email and telephone and other things so that, you know, I, the, the key for me is, is we don't want to make it a burden for people. We want their natural selling process to be happening. And in the background, they're connecting that information to the CRM um, so that, you know, we can, because where it's really going is, is predictive measures. If, yeah, I've got this massive pipeline, but how much of it do I really believe I'm going to close within certain windows? So we're, we're doing things like probability around, you know, closure window. And if something is 80% probable and it's going to close within this window, we didn't have the means to be able to say, well, okay, was the proposal done? Have there been iterations of pricing or, you know, and if we didn't, if we don't see those things in an opportunity, you can pretty much be rest assured that 
you're saying you're going to close in 60 days and you got an 80% probability. That's most likely not going to happen because you haven't done any of the steps in the system that, you know, that demonstrates that we've been even quoting this. Um, so uh, that's the type of stuff that, that that's what we're moving towards is, is that let's get a little bit more predictive analysis around, you know, forecasting. Let's get a little bit, you know, better about being able to come to the company in an SNOP process and be able to say, I have this level of confidence in this value. These other things we're nurturing and working, but let's let's make sure we start thinking about producing these products because we have a high degree of confidence we're going to win them. Everything you said is spot on. I wanted to yell "Amen" like five times <laughs> while you were talking because, you know, that's exactly what our approach is. And I'm just a huge advocate around everything you said. That, you know, it really uh, is there to. Uh, probably not going to repeat this as elegantly as you said it, but, you know, technology should be there, CRM technology, to really support the process of the person is doing naturally, you know, that it shouldn't be a burden. Um, yeah. It should just be part of their normal flow of what they need to get done. And the tool's just making it easier for me to do my job. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and again, I remember our early conversation when I was, you know, and I, I, you know, a little intimidated to come to you and say, look, this is how I'm thinking about it. Am I like way off base? And, you know, you, you kind of affirmed for me that, you know, no, that's the, that's the, the right approach. And, uh, but, but the steps that you walked me through in that process and the way that you questioned me, like I was just talking about, you know, Hey, are you thinking about this? And okay, what are you doing in this area? And show me this piece. And as I, you know, as, as you and I were walking through it, you, you gave me the confidence to say, okay, you know, my experience tells me this is right. And, you know, somebody with your expertise is also kind of looking at that. So I appreciated that. And I, and I think we were very like-minded in the approach that we were taking in that, so. Oh, very much so. And I, I, we, you know, our firm has a, a, we've really developed a specialty around coming in and rehabilitating CRMs that have failed or just not, you know, they're, what you described earlier about when you came into Panduit with your group's CRM, where it's just, it's a repository of information that's really not being utilized. And uh, it, you can transform an organization when you do it the right way, the way you described it is spot on. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So thinking about, I'm gonna ask this, I ask everyone this question. I'm gonna ask it you a little differently. When you were a salesperson, when it came to CRM, did you love it or did you hate it? Well, when I grew up in sales, CRM wasn't a thing. Uh, Goldmine was out. And so then that was, you know, our, our act, uh, which was more of a, you know, kind of a contact database. Um, I remember early on thinking to myself that if I don't attack this in an organized way, I'm never going to be successful. So we didn't have the CRM tools, you know, in my early career. So, you know, I remember, and, and frankly, you know, spreadsheets were, you know, it was a thing, but not like a, you know, a thing. I remember notebooks and, you know, other paper means and, you know, uh, things that, 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 that I used to the best of my ability to try to follow that process. But to me, it was always around trying to understand what's the repeatability. I would have to say that if in my early career, I wish I had CRM, I, you know, like what a great tool, because I remember like the, you know, the, the, the Monday morning meetings when you get called out to, all right, what are you working on? That kind of thing. It'd be nice to be able to just, you know, print a report and show that. And instead of, you know, reading through papers and trying to, you know, yeah, this is what I'm working on. So uh, I would have loved it if I had it. Uh, and in, in the places that I have had it in, in my leadership uh, roles, I, I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
uh, but with the caveat that I only love it when it's implemented correctly and it reflects your sales process versus it's a repository. <laughs> amen. Amen. I'm going to stick one amen in there. Um, well, we are at the end of our, uh, our time here on Sales Lead, Doug. I really appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed listening to you. If people want to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn is a great way. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, just uh, please do me one favor, though, and put a, a note in there of why, because I, I do get requests that don't say anything, and I look at the profile and don't understand the connection point, and I, frankly, I don't, I don't connect there because I'm not looking to just grow my connection points. I want to actually have meaningful connections with people, so uh, I always ask that, you know, just, if there's no note in there, I don't understand what you're trying to connect around, unless I know you, of course, then, right. <laughs> then I'm right. connecting because I know you, but Yep. But uh, yeah, that's that's probably the best way uh, in my awesome. profile. So you know, if you search for, I'm in South Carolina. I'm with Panduit, Philip Gerard. It's you know, it's, I'm pretty findable on LinkedIn. That's terrific. Well, again, thank you for being on Sales Lead, Doug. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Chris. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash Sales Lead Dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM. Delivering objectively better CRM for business. Guaranteed.